We met with Venture Candidate 2019 Robert Placinder in my office. A man of many hats, including a practicing lawyer, active mediator, and sitting deputy judge, he will bring a fresh perspective if elected to convocation. Robert, thank you for coming in and making time for us. That's my pleasure, and thanks for asking me. It's my pleasure. So I'd like to talk a little bit about your platform. What inspired you to run for Venture this year? Well, I've been a passive lawyer, like many other lawyers in Ontario, for the better part of my career, looking at the law society from a distance. And like a lot of Ontario lawyers, I think there's not always a lot of love for the law society. We question sometimes why they do what they do. And it came to the point where I thought, rather than looking at it from the outside, I think some positive change can be accomplished from the inside. And I think that's true whether it's the law society or any aspect of any profession, any passion that you have. Don't complain about things. Go out there and do something about it. So in your practice, you have experience managing a small firm hands-on. For the last three years, it's going to be three years in May, I've been a sole practitioner and actually the sole uh, human being in the firm. I do everything from the accounting to the secretarial to the bookkeeping to process serving to meeting clients, buying supplies. So it's a one-person operation, and that's given me a, a much greater appreciation for what's involved in the practice of law than the 27 years that preceded that, where I was simply working as a lawyer within a firm. So that added perspective, what sorts of things do you think the Law Society should be doing to assist small and medium firms? Well, one of the things, and I've, you know, it's still somewhat early in the election. So in terms of putting out platforms, I think for all of us, it's a work in progress. But one of the things I've written about so far is the CPD requirement. And I know that as a sole practitioner now, I'm looking at doing a wider variety of, of law than when I was within a firm. When you're in a boutique office, you do one thing and you do it over and over again. When you're on your own, occasionally you're asked to step outside your previous comfort zone. I found that the Law Society, in putting out its CPD programs, is really very good at updating you. So if you're a 20-year practitioner, in a certain area, you can take a program and get the current developments. It's not so good at helping us when we have to change direction in our careers, or if you're a sole practitioner getting, I guess, a substitute for mentorship, that level of education. So one thing I've suggested is that I think back to when I did the bar admission course, back in the days where it was mandatory attendance, half days with lectures, and the materials were wonderful. It was sort of an, a little concise encyclopedia of how to do something. And you got a lot out of that. I find that even now I'll still go back to my almost 30-year-old notes and learn something. And I'd like to see, whether it be a half-day or full-day program, an introduction to a certain area of law, perhaps. You know, they've got the materials from bar admissions put on half-day or full-day seminars where lawyers can go and basically get a crash course, whether it be real estate, wills, family law, corporate, and just familiarize themselves with the basics and not necessarily become an expert, but so that we're not entirely making it up as we go along. My experience as a practitioner is I won't touch something if I don't have a comfort level, but I do see others tackling things 
that I question why they are, and they could benefit from that type of intense but very thorough education process. It would probably raise the overall level of competency among lawyers. Dabbling is a dangerous exercise, I Absolutely. agree. And sometimes, though, you're in a position, uh, especially if you're starting out, where something may be placed in your lap, you feel like, I could reasonably tackle this, but I just need a bit more guidance. I mean, that sounds like that's what you're describing. Absolutely. For instance, over the 27, 30 years, however long I've been doing this, I've had to do occasionally a simple will for a client in the personal injury context, people who are have family members dying within a couple of days and they need something done quickly and they can't afford to go to someone else. So I was asked to step in. So I, I have a basic familiarity with it and I still do that, but then you get the slightly more complex wills. Or the other example is I've done some family law over the years, but it's not been a full-time endeavor. And I've done nothing but litigation for most of my career. So I'm very comfortable going into court, very comfortable with the notions of advocating for a client. But the particulars of family law rule practice would be nice to have a refresher course for people who, for whatever reason, need to tackle something and learn a certain area. Or very simply, people who come out of their articles and want to start up from scratch and don't have the luxury of someone looking over their shoulder and that they can turn around to and say, okay, I've reached point A, B, C, and D in this process, what's next? And I think a good, thorough, intensive course at a reasonable cost as well uh, is something that the law society could do without too much effort, but they don't. Uh, most CPD is still designed to enhance what you've already got. One of the earliest I'm not sure if it was advice or a warning. Uh, one of the earliest things I was told in my practice was the law society is not your friend. You know, that I think is sort of an unfortunate state of affairs. What sorts of things do you envision the law society doing in terms of ensuring and safeguarding competence, but at the same time supporting its members? Well, I think they have to get a better message across to people. It's inevitable, I think, unless you're working in-house and your client is your employer. It's almost inevitable if you're in private practice uh, dealing with the general public that at some point in your career, someone will be unhappy with one thing you've done. And so it's, a, it's almost an inevitable thing that you may have to deal with the law society. And there may be no substance to it, but you'll have to deal with them. Or as sole practitioners, we will be likely having to do a spot audit at some point. And the word spot sounds okay, but the audit usually sends terror into the hearts of most lawyers because they don't understand the process. And same with the complaint process. Everyone thinks if there's a complaint, that's the end of my career. And the reality is that a spot audit is a beneficial thing for a lawyer who may be well-intentioned, but just doesn't have their paperwork together. And same thing with a complaint. Maybe you didn't respond as quickly as you could have to the client, and there's a communication issue. And the Law Society needs to get the message out that these types of things are not bad things, that they really do assist in best practice in your own world. So number one, I think the Law Society has to get the message out as to what they're doing in the regulation field. Number two, I think the Law Society has to make it clear to lawyers and paralegals 
the Law Society has two sets of licensees, and I think they both equally need this other message, that the Law Society is there to assist them in their dealings with other lawyers as well, whether it be in their own firm or dealings with other lawyers. The Law Society is very good at sending out a message about public protection, not always a good message about lawyer protection. And whether it be sharp practice, whether it be illegal steps being taken by other lawyers or harassment in the workplace. And that's one of the things I'm seeing with a lot of the, I'll say, younger candidates, uh, less of the establishment candidates. This may be the mildest way of putting it. Things like harassment, discrimination, opportunities for women in the workplace. Those are areas that are now being raised a little bit more often, and the Law Society needs to be actively engaged in that. It's not enough to just send out a bulletin once a month setting out, these are ideals. I think the Law Society needs to get their hands dirty and find a way to engage lawyers in proper discussions about how to deal with each other, how to deal with your staff, how to deal with juniors, how to deal with senior partners, uh, because those interpersonal dynamics are the things that are driving people out of the practice. Those are the dynamics that are creating an environment where mental health issues arise. And the Law Society can't step into every firm and create a paradise, but they can be a little bit more active in sending out the right messages and giving people good, real tools uh, to implement those ideals in day-to-day practice. So I understand that you sit as a deputy judge in Richmond Hill. With, a, with whatever necessary disclaimers that, you know, you're not speaking on behalf of the judiciary, what, in your observations, can we be doing to promote access to justice? What do you see the role of lawyers and paralegals as being in the next few years? Um, any thoughts in that regard? There's a big disclaimer, because as a deputy judge, I really don't have authority to speak on behalf of anyone but myself at any given time. It's not always appropriate for any judge, whether it's a deputy judge or a Supreme Court of Canada justice, to comment upon general matters that are sometimes within the jurisdiction of the legislature, for instance. I can tell you that in my 13 years sitting, first of all, it's been a very humbling experience because you see things from the other side of the bench. So it's made me a better lawyer when I act as an advocate. I'm a little bit more respectful of what judges have to put up with sometimes. But I've had the privilege of having a wide range of counsel appear in front of me, from fresh graduates from paralegal courses up to 40, 50-year lawyers with QCs after their names. And the one common thing from an access to justice perspective is that competency is absolutely a must. I've got lawyers who should know better, who don't know better, and then I have students or fresh paralegals who don't have the skill set from experience but have enough know-how to come into court and properly serve their clients. So the one common thread is that we need to be preparing licensees a little bit better to go out in the real world. And that's where, when I talk about CPD courses, That could be one aspect of it as well. But I'm finding the one thing that is an embarrassment to me is to think of perhaps all the times we as lawyers uh, have gone into court unprepared. And that extends not just to court, but meeting with a client unprepared. Any aspect of, of lawyering 
where you're really not preparing yourself to serve the client's interests, that affects access to justice because it either delays matters within the court system, preventing other people from getting their day in court. It unduly drives up certain notions within jurisprudence about costs and uh, delay and length of proceedings. I think the biggest barrier to access to justice that I've seen over all these years, uh, especially even in small claims court, is the economics of it. Paralegals, I think, are a valuable partner in the process of ensuring that people who maybe can't get the Bay Street firm at $600 an hour still can have their issues raised in the appropriate forum. By the same token, lawyers have to recognize that it's not always about the bottom line in their wallets and their bank accounts. Access to justice sometimes is about doing the right thing. So I'm looking at your profile on lawtimes.com. Yes. And the question about pressing concerns for the profession. And you talk about the, the value of satisfaction of being a lawyer. What do you mean by that? We'll throw it back at you by saying... I've been following you for around a year on LinkedIn, and one of the things I've admired is, well, there are a couple of things, but number one, there's still a passion about the work. There's still a sense of idealism about doing the right thing, about serving clients who might not otherwise be served. And there's overall an enthusiasm about the things that you're putting forward on your page and in your candidacy as a bencher that I think is very important. And I think we find that in our profession, as the years go by, there aren't as many people who will wake up every day and say, I really love the law. I'd love to see lawyers on a more universal basis waking up each day and loving what they do. Because if you enjoy what you do, you're going to do a better job and you're going to do it for the right reasons. And I think when law becomes too much, when people feel there's over-regulation, or regulation in the wrong areas, or even things such as a statement of principles. There are all those who, people who feel it's forced speech, then there are other people who feel it's not enough to address the issues that are being looked at. When people feel dissatisfied with how their governing body, for instance, is treating them, and they feel that they're being pulled in every which direction, you're going to see the attrition rate, people dropping out of the practice, women who feel that if they take a maternity leave, they're going to lose their status within a firm. Racialized or other marginalized people who feel that they don't have a voice at the law society within a large firm structure, or even people who feel that I won't be taken at the same level of seriousness as a different type of lawyer. Those types of issues need to be talked about to ensure that people can maintain that passion, the enthusiasm, and want to stay in the profession to serve people. That's how you maintain access to justice, by having lawyers out there who are willing to serve the public. Are there things we haven't talked about so far that that you would want to convey to anybody listening? Well, the people who are primarily going to be listening to us are other licensees. And the only thing I'd convey is that my own candidacy uh, for the bencher election I'm trying to be realistic. I know I don't work at a 500-lawyer law firm where an email sent to everyone will translate into a couple of hundred votes. So I think for the sole practitioner out there, a new practitioner, people who are not in the mainstream of the headlines every day, 
arguing on behalf of those big issues in court, sometimes feel they have an uphill battle. I would encourage any lawyer who feels that way and is discouraged from getting involved to ignore all of that. You can make a difference. Sometimes making a difference is, as a lawyer is one client at a time, one person at a time, mentoring. There are a whole host of opportunities. And after almost 30 years as a lawyer, I felt that trying to serve the public interest and the lawyer's interest at the Law Society was something that spoke to me. But there are a thousand and one other opportunities out there for public service and for service to the legal community. And when you do that, it really does help reignite the passion that you remember from law school, bar admissions, and those early days where you thought that everything was possible and not sometimes 30 years after the fact where you've seen possibilities dissolve into thin air. Involvement and service are wonderful ways of making you a better lawyer. And that's, I think, that should be everyone's goal as a licensee. Building on that, outcomes aside, I think what's happening here is a very important conversation where we're shaping the agenda that will be discussed one way or another at convocation. And there's obviously a lot of engagement on social media, people interested in the issues. I'll give you one example, the statement of principles and Indigenous issues. I think early on, I was probably more on the, this is forced speech. You can't force people to think a certain way. And by making people have a statement of principles, you can't necessarily affect change. And I've had the privilege through my mediation work to be engaged in work where um, within the last month or so, I met an Indigenous elder, a senator in, in the Indigenous Senate councils in, in the Toronto area. And I had a firsthand experience of a lot of these issues in terms of what I'll call another form of wisdom. It's not always you know, look up Halsbury's law or whatever to find wisdom. There are other sources. And you become sensitized to the fact that what we've learned in law school, what we may learn in our practices, is not the only way. And it's also, within Canada, it's a system that has excluded a very important part of Canada for a long time. So I'm not sure where I stand in terms of the effectiveness of statement of principles one way or the other but I see it as a first step. And I think the Law Society, if they're serious about promoting certain values, has to take the next step, which is saying, fine, we've made you do these statement of principles, but let's try to make it real. And the kinds of experiences I've been fortunate to have lately make these things real and make, make it much more important. And I see that there are a whole host of wisdoms out there that we can draw upon. And there are a whole host of experiences, whether it be racialized, economically marginalized, gender issues, where people don't feel that the legal system and the law society is representing their interests. Uh, we don't have to turn things over all in one day. I think we need to think things out deliberately so that people buy into it. Because when you buy into it and when you see the value of it, you can be passionate about it and not there is a block of people who feel resentful about it, and that doesn't help the cause. But when you can get people to have it sink into them and become part of the way they see the legal practice, the law society, then it does actually bode well uh, for the possibility of positive change. And you're a man of many hats. You're a sole practitioner, deputy judge, mediator. 
What do you think these perspectives would bring to convocation? You have to look at what convocation is trying to achieve and what the purpose of convocation is. And if you look at the law society and convocation as governance of the legal profession, as well as protecting the public interest, bringing in these other perspectives will allow them to see what the public interest is. And also the legal profession, you know, as an example, in my personal injury work, you know, if you look at my profile, you'll say he's a middle-aged white male. And over the years, I've had the privilege of having clientele from virtually every corner of the globe. And it's no different than going to see a family physician, a dentist, a local grocer. We're a service industry, and a lot of people want their servants to look like them, or to think like them, or to understand where they're coming from. So I've represented many clients from Sri Lanka. I don't speak their language. If I was a lawyer who spoke their language, I'm sure they would feel a lot more comfortable explaining what their problems are. So that's it, it's just natural. People tend to gravitate toward, towards communities. And as good a lawyer as I might think I am, I know I'm not representative of every single community or gender experience or economic experience. And empathy only goes a certain distance. At a certain point, people want their servants to have some inherent understanding of them. The legal profession, I don't think, has necessarily encouraged access for other communities to come into it. it when I started out, the notion of uh, women on the bench was a novelty. And now we have had a, a, a woman as a Supreme Court Chief Justice for many years uh, before the current Chief Justice, and we take it for granted. And I, I was looking at the annual report of the Law Society, for instance, uh, from 2017. There are more women convocating each year than men. And yet, most firm structures are still the middle-aged white male like me are at the top of the structure. Women, if they want to raise a family, have certain barriers in terms of maintaining seniority. So I think all of these new perspectives will help broaden the legal profession generally and convocation generally uh, in being able to say, not everyone looks like me. And each of us, however we look, however we sound, where we're born, etc., each of us should be able to say that um, and say the law society doesn't have to look like me. It can look like others. There's no set mode. So I, I think diversity is, is a fantastic thing and convocation should be promoting that. How it's done, that's a discussion that we're still engaging in. And I, I think we can only benefit from a lot of different viewpoints and, and a lot of fresh viewpoints. Karima, you've been a lawyer now three years now. Yeah. And that's a completely different perspective from someone like me. And it's a completely different perspective from a life bencher who's been a lawyer for 50 years. And it's a very different perspective from a paralegal who finds, for instance, in court that they're not getting respect because of the simple title before their name. So all of these different perspectives go into engaging in a, a meaningful dialogue. And I think that's the only way we can learn. And learning is a great way to make things better. That's so well put. You've been an absolute pleasure to talk with. Any final thoughts? Just uh, to wish you luck. Uh, as I say, I, I can't guarantee I'll be in convocation in the spring after the election. You can't guarantee it either, but 
I look at it this way. If I didn't get in and you did, I'd be very, very satisfied because I've enjoyed seeing your platform. And there are a whole host of candidates out there who are saying important things. It's not always about winning and losing. It's about advancing the dialogue and wanting to make the profession better. I think we are all working towards the same goals. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very much. So if someone wants to learn a little bit more about your candidacy, where should they find you? Well, right now, I'll confess, I'm not as good with the technology as others have been. I'm also my own web uh, webmaster or web, I think that's a term. I believe the Law Times has a bit of a profile on their candidate page. When you have an unusual name, it makes it easy to get a website. So it's besunder, B-E-S-U-N-D-E-R dot C-A. Perfect. Wonderful. Thank you. The Bencher Election 2019 for the Law Society of Ontario takes place from April 15th to 30th. If you're out of Ontario, why not look at what's happening in your region? If you know someone who's practicing, see what they're up to. Encourage them to vote. Check me out on Twitter at Karima Rules.